Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The holidays are back, and so is the most Grizzlies gift of the season, Grizzlies six-game holiday packs. They're on sale now, featuring the year's best matchups and giveaways, including the Warriors, Nets, Bucks, and more. Holiday packs start at just $20 per game. Plus, when you buy by Black Friday, you'll receive the Dallas December 8th game free. So skip them all, avoid the crowds, and warm up this season with the Grizzlies' six-game holiday pack. Call 901-888-HOOP or shop online now at grizzlies.com. Morant with a running start. Elevate! Oh, it does! Oh, my goodness! Oh. Tie game in overtime. Gasol will turn. tell if there are any punches being thrown under there but Griffin took exception to something the officials break it up quickly see he just locked his arm and then kind of pulled him over Zach falls down and then you know what a little elbow there oh he's digging the elbow welcome to grits and grinds a Memphis Grizzlies podcast my name is Keith Parrish and on Saturday night, the Grizzlies got destroyed by the Minnesota Timberwolves. And it is a troubling defeat in a lot of ways. And it's kind of hard to really assess what's going on with the Grizzlies. They lose by 43 points to the Timberwolves. It was probably the worst Grizzlies performance of the season. In a season, that's already featured three other games that were over by the end of the third quarter. This is a season where the Grizzlies lost to the Heat by 26. They lost to the Suns by 25. They lost to the Wizards by 28. 
five of the Grizzlies' eight losses this year have been by at least 20 points. In all of their road games this year so far, the Grizzlies have been down by double digits. But this one was the worst one, I think, just with how much it was not a game at any point. Although maybe I'm forgetting that the Miami Heat game was basically over the entire time. They never really competed against the Suns. After this game, Taylor Jenkins said it was the least competitive game in his three years, he felt like. He's probably right. Once again, we get to this thing where at the end of the third quarter and the game is totally over. This one was almost totally over at halftime. You're down by 30 points at halftime. At halftime, the Grizzlies had 12 made field goals. The Timberwolves had 12 made three-pointers. I mean, what are you supposed to do with these stats? At halftime, the Grizzlies are 28.6% from the field. They're shooting 28.6% from the field, also 65% from the free throw line. Meanwhile, the Timberwolves have missed 20 field goals. They're shooting 56.5% from the field. They've missed 20 field goals, but of those 20 misses, they've gotten an offensive rebound on nine of them. It was worse in the first quarter where the Timberwolves missed 10 field goal attempts and got six offensive rebounds. The Timberwolves in the first quarter were ahead 40-23 to 23 at the end of that, were 8-11 for 11 from three. I don't know what you're supposed to do with these numbers. I don't have the answers for what happened here and what might be wrong with the Grizzlies. I also don't really have like strong opinions, like I know some of you have, about this is a failure of Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff. I don't know. If the team shoots 26% from the field in the first half and their opponent shoots 56% from the field, is that on the coach? Is it on the coach that this team once again lost the three-point battle horrifically? The three-point story that I've been talking about each episode has become the dominating story for the Grizzlies. It's not just the Grizzlies. It's partially the entire league. Most teams this year, if you don't make your three-pointers, you can't win. The only teams this season that seem like they're able to win if they don't make three-pointers, it's the Bulls, it's the Suns, it's the Heat. The Grizzlies are in the boat right now where if they don't make their three-pointers, they seemingly have no way to win. In the five games this year where the Grizzlies have made single-digit three-pointers, have made less than 10 three-pointers, they made nine three-pointers against the Timberwolves. They're now 0-5 in games they don't make at least 10 three-pointers. League-wide, the entire NBA this season only wins 28% of the time if you make fewer than 10 three-pointers. One of my Fast Break Breakfast listeners, Jesse Pitsley, pointed this out to me about a week ago, and it's I've been still monitoring it. It's the Grizzlies' win success just compared to their three-point percentage. For the year, for this season, if the Grizzlies make at least 38% of their three-pointers, they're undefeated. They're 7-0 and if they make 38% of their three-pointers. If they make less than 38% of their three-pointers, they're 1-8. Against the Timberwolves, they made 28% of their three-pointers for the game. 9 for 32. 
Their opponent made 20 for 41. The Timberwolves made 23 pointers. It's actually the second consecutive game the Timberwolves themselves have made at least 23 pointers in a game. But the Grizzlies lose the three point battle horribly. And now on the season, one and eight, if they shoot under 38% from three, the only victory was the comeback win and overtime victory over the Warriors. They were getting killed in that game. They came back and won. Now, some of this is just pure shooting randomness, I think. And so it's hard to draw any huge conclusions when you see the three-point disparity so frequently. Now, if you continually lose the three-point disparity, yes, I guess there is some form of a problem. The Grizzlies are worst in the NBA at opponent three-point percentage. Their opponents still are shooting over 40% on three-pointers for this season. It's probably at this point not all bad luck. The Grizzlies' defense is terrible. The reasons for why the defense is terrible, those are harder to get into. But now for this season, the Grizzlies' defensive rating is 115.5. They're giving up 115 points per 100 possessions. That is so bad. I was so incredibly wrong, at least so far, about this team's defensive potential. I thought this team would be great at defense. Hasn't happened yet. We can dive into the reasons maybe a little bit more later of why the defense is struggling, but very simply so far, the story of the season for the Grizzlies is three-point shooting. They make threes, they win. If they don't make threes, they lose. And somehow they keep allowing their opponents to make these incredible three-point shooting numbers. Now, the hugely concerning, like even more concerning than maybe some other things for me is that stat about the 38% line. Like that's the being the cutoff line for the Grizzlies to win a basketball game. Because shooting 38% from three is good. Like it's really good. It's above average. And so is that stat telling me the Grizzlies have to shoot above average from three to win? If so... That means the Grizzlies are not very good. Now, there are bigger other signs spelling out that maybe the Grizzlies aren't very good, namely that 115.5 defensive rating, namely the overall net rating for the team, having five of your eight losses be blowouts, always being behind. These are other signs that your team might not be that good. Now, the good news is, again, just one loss. The team is 8-8. Eight and eight. The team has solid wins on their resume already this season. I'm pretty confused. And I'm also having trouble sorting out exactly how I feel or like how concerned I should be about all this. I am not excessively panicked, I guess. And maybe that's just blindness on my part. Part of it is the expectation for this game on Saturday night against the Timberwolves. When I found out Dylan Brooks and Anthony Melton were both out of the game, I did not expect very much from the Grizzlies on Saturday night. I assumed they would lose. I thought it was a big question of like, who are they even going to play? I thought they would probably start Kyle Anderson like they did. But then after that, what are you going to do? And was Kyle Anderson to the three going to work out well for the Grizzlies? No, it did not work out well. I think the Grizzlies game plan as far as the rotation of how to handle Melton and Brooks being out of the lineup, it was fine. I was excited to see, are we going to see some of these super three-man unit that we keep 
highlighting of Kyle Anderson at the three with Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. I was like, this is an opportunity to do this. Let's go to this lineup. They actually did in the second quarter, but the game was basically over by that point. Maybe the big victory, the big grits and grinds victory for this game was when Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Kyle Anderson played. The Grizzlies only lost those minutes by two in a 43-point defeat. But no one had it going on. John Morant did not score in the first quarter and had a miserable game. A lot of that was the Timberwolves defense that was collapsing in on him, forcing him to pass because guess what? Steven Adams is not going to beat you. Kyle Anderson, the three, is not going to beat you. Jaron Jackson Jr. did not beat you. Jaron Jackson Jr. had a very bad offensive game in this game. Now, Desmond Bain, he came out, made a bunch of shots, kept the Grizzlies somewhat close. But Desmond Bain, everyone's saying like Desmond Bain had a great first quarter. Desmond Bain was miserable on defense and rebounding in that first quarter while he was scoring. The 14 points he had kept him in it a little bit, but not getting any rebounds was also killing the Grizzlies. Not tracking Anthony Edwards was killing the Grizzlies. Anthony Edwards was poised to have a huge game. And again, this was a Timberwolves team that was very, very hot. They just blew the doors off the Spurs, making 21 three-pointers in their previous game. They were primed to face the Grizzlies, a Grizzlies team that had beaten them seven consecutive times. This team had a, a positive momentum going, and then the Grizzlies show up without their two best wing players. Some will say Desmond Bain is one of the best ones, but I don't think so. For me, Melton and Brooks are the best. I've always said that. And not having those guys knowing, all right, Zaire Williams is going to have to check Anthony Edwards. That's going to be a disaster. Zaire had no idea where Anthony Edwards was. He kept losing him. Edwards goes five for five on threes in the first quarter, and the Grizzlies basically don't guard him any of the times. Maybe there was one that was contested. This was a tough situation for the Grizzlies to be in. Missing Brooks, missing Melton, and facing a Timberwolves team on their home court that had been playing well. So because of that, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. And then the way the first quarter goes, with the Timberwolves making eight three-pointers, them rebounding over half of all their missed field goal attempts, I checked out pretty early. And so I wasn't as upset maybe as some others were. But also, I checked out early. It looked like the Grizzlies checked out early. Why aren't the Grizzlies ever fighting back? Why are they falling down by so much? How in the world are they letting go of the rope so many times? To be down 20 is one thing when the other team makes 10 three-pointers over like a 16-minute span. But then to follow that up with, oh, then you just gave up another 12-3 to run. Now you're down by 30. Oh, you just gave up another 8-0 run to finish the half. And then you come out in the third quarter, give up a 19-2 run, and you're down by 42 halfway through the third quarter. How in the world is this team collapsing and giving up so many times? Four games on the season already that were absolutely over by the start of the fourth quarter. That's really strange. Now, is it Taylor Jenkins' job to get this team focused enough to fight back? I guess. I don't know. Some people feel like that's the job of the coach to motivate the players. I don't feel like it is. If the players need the coach's motivation, that's a big problem. Were the players ill-prepared for what the Timberwolves were going to try to do? Were they not put in a position to succeed? That, I don't know the answer. I honestly don't know the answer. 
I think starting Kyle Anderson at the three was probably the right move. But we know if Kyle and Steven are on the court, well, then there's not going to be very much space for Ja to drive. And if the shots don't go in, what else do you have? And that leads us back to the problem with the statistic about if the Grizzlies are missing their shots, they don't win. This season, if the shots aren't going in, what do the Grizzlies have? And it's nothing because the defense is so bad. If your defense is bad and you don't make three-pointers, you will not win games in the NBA currently. NBA teams all shoot three-pointers now. And the Grizzlies don't really have a plan B because their defense has been so abysmal. Last season, when the Grizzlies failed to make 10 or more three-pointers, they were 9-16. and 16. That's okay. That isn't a staggering statistic. That just sounds like, yeah. It's harder to win when you struggle to, to make three-pointers. This year, it being so stark, hey, yeah, if we don't make three-pointers, we're going to lose, and we're probably going to lose horribly. That could be a sign of trouble. Like, I don't think there's any talk of Taylor Jenkins being on a hot seat because if you look at it, they're 8-8. Eight and eight. The Grizzlies, as far as preseason predictions and expectations, were basically assumed to be about a 500 team, and they are a 500 team. And if Melton and Brooks play, maybe this never happens. This is just an undermanned Grizzlies team that's struggling with a lot of things, including falling down and not putting up a fight to get back in the game. Talk about those Melton and Brooks minutes. I highlighted last episode how incredible the Grizzlies have been when DeAnthony Melton and Dylan Brooks have played together over the past three seasons. In 2019-20, the first year Melton was on the Grizzlies, In the 782 possessions they played together, the Grizzlies were plus 9 per 100 possessions. Last season, they were plus 12.2 over 611 possessions when Melton and Brooks played together. This year, they've only played 51 possessions, so technically a meaningless sample. But because we have these other years to look at, it's not that meaningless. I think it shows that they consistently produce. This year in 51 possessions, they played together. They're plus 15.5 per 100 possessions. And also, for clarity out there, just in case you get carried away with the net rating stats, as I sometimes do, plus 15.5 per 100 possessions over 51 possessions. That just lets you know they've outscored their opponents this season by eight points, okay? That is the sign of, you know, good statistics as far as good numbers. You like to see that, but, you know, a made three here or there, that can sway these smaller numbers so big. That's why we always say small sample size is Meaningless, typically. But we know the Grizzlies have had success with Brooks and Melton on the court together. Now, the opposite is also true, where if neither one of those guys is on the court the last two seasons, the Grizzlies really struggle. Two years ago, if neither Brooks or Melton are on the court, the Grizzlies are minus 11 per 100 possessions in a lot of possessions uh, with a bad offense, 104 offensive rating, which is bad. And a terrible defense, 115.5, which is just happens to be this year's overall team defensive rating. Last season, similarly, when both guys were off the court, the Grizzlies had a bad defense, 116.6 defensive rating, and a bad offense, 108.5 offense. They were minus 8.1 when neither one of those guys was on the court. So then this year, and these numbers are heavily swayed, by that ridiculous blowout we just saw. But even even throwing out garbage time, which cleaning the glass does, this year when Melton and Brooks are both off the court, we have 501 possessions and the Grizzlies atrocious at offense, 103 offensive rating, terrible at defense, 122 defensive rating. 
They're negative 18.7 points per 100 possessions when Melton and Brooks aren't playing. So I'm saying all that, again, spelling out like I didn't have high hopes coming into the game, but also, you know, our expectations were low, but oh, wow, uh, they weren't this low as far as what happened to the Grizzlies. So that's, that's some part of the nuance of how I'm trying to process this specific blowout. And there's no way to separate it, I guess, from the other blowouts. Like, they're all jumbled in there with a, all right, is there a problem with this team? But because of, like, the low expectations and these specific circumstances of this game, when the Timberwolves come out and hit a bunch of three-pointers, and it's a familiar story for the Grizzlies, you're losing the three-point battle, and then you're like, all right, is this lineup with Zyra Williams and Conchar going to get us back in it? No. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I don't think it is. And so I have trouble processing or coming to a strong opinion about like, oh, the Grizzlies are, are a disaster and they need help against like, all right, this is a team that we think is going to be hopefully in that 7, 8, 9, 10 range. We had some dreams of maybe creeping into 5, 6 range in the West, but they're not that good. And if everything isn't clicking right, they get overwhelmed kind of quickly. Now, I don't know what the problem is, though, or whose fault that is exactly. Do we do we put that at the coaching staff? Do we put that at John Morant? Do we put that at they need veteran leadership? Are they missing Grayson and Jonas? Is something about this team being so young and being so comfortable with each other that maybe they've developed bad habits? Maybe they need some kind of veteran to come in and help lead the locker room to be a vocal leader. Like, is Ja the type of vocal leader that can bring along the other players who's next in like priority for leading the team. Is it just Dylan Brooks? Is he, is he the spiritual leader? If Dylan's out, they just don't have it type thing. Do they need more from Jaron? Do they need more of Jaron's leadership? Do they need more of Jaron's on court play? Now Jaron's on court play is I think worth talking about because some of it's quite bad. The offensive output from Jaron, it was not what was needed in this game. Jaron goes two for nine on field goals, only attempts two three-pointers, doesn't make either. Now, we talked about the team shooting splits. If the Grizzlies shoot over 38% from three, undefeated. Under 38% from three, one and eight. Jaron, if Jaron Jackson Jr. merely makes 30% of his field goal attempts, 30% of his field goal attempts, the Grizzlies are 7-2. and two. Just make 30% of your field goal attempts, and the Grizzlies are 7-2. and two. You can do the quick math. That means if he does not, the Grizzlies are 1-6. and six. So if Jaron doesn't make the field goals, if Jaron doesn't make his shots, period, the Grizzlies also can't win. He's part of it. I mean, they're all part of it. It all works together, but it's a striking statistic. Also, Part of that that's the ugly part is that means in seven of 16 games this year, Jaron has made under 30% of his field goals. The only player in the NBA right now who has more bad shooting games, I'm cutting it off at at least eight field goal attempts and you made under 30% of your field goals. The only player with more bad field goal or uh, bad shooting games is Jalen Suggs, the rookie for the Magic. He has eight. Jaron has seven. Seven of the 16 games, Jaron has not had his offense working, and the Grizzlies have lost six of those seven. Now, there are positives. It's not all bad with Jaron Jackson Jr. 
The Grizzlies, when Jaron Jackson Jr. plays, when he's on the court, the Grizzlies defense is okay. He's been the best defensive player on the Grizzlies. Dylan Brooks is the best one-on-one defender, but Jaron, I think, has been the most important player for the Grizzlies defense. He's also averaging two blocks per game. He's getting two blocks per game. He's making two three-pointers per game. He's the only player in the NBA currently averaging two made three-pointers per game and two blocks per game. He's also making 87% of his free throws. One positive thing from the Timberwolves game is that Jaron got to the free throw line 10 times. Having a rim protector who's a good free throw shooter, that's a very valuable thing. And when you then consider Jaron's age, which I don't think we normally forget, but when you consider he's a very young, 22 years old, and he's protecting the rim for the Grizzlies, he's averaging two made three-pointers per game, you forgive some of the other stuff, some of the other offensive woes. All right, they have not caught up or gotten to where we, we wish they would be, but a guy doing what he's doing it's basically only him, Al Horford, and Christoph Porzingis right now who are blocking shots and making free throws at this rate. And then it's basically only Kristaps and Jaron who put up these three-point shooting and block shot numbers. Then you can remember, all right, Jaron has not been that terrible. If you think about his contract, when the contract extension kicks in next season, hasn't even kicked in yet, so you don't have to fret about money yet. Not that the money really matters anyway. But, like, Jaron's been okay. He's not the sole culprit. He's just one of many culprits in this specific game and in the games that Grizzlies have not found a way to win. I'll close up with just one more, I guess, culprit. One more trend that's going the wrong way is the play of Steven Adams. Now, I've highlighted the good passing of Steven Adams, where he's racked up multiple games of four or more assists, and he's passing it maybe more than he ever has before in his career. But if teams don't allow him to dump it off to someone else, he's got nothing. I think he made two field goals all of last week. He is not a threat on offense, and teams can't ignore him, and he's not good enough on defense, or he's not really helping the Grizzlies that much. We did not get the spry, reborn Steven Adams, we were hoping for. He has not developed much of a chemistry with John Morant. They haven't done much of a two-man game. The offense is really struggling. When he's on the court, the Grizzlies have a 114 defensive rating, which is not good, but it's at least slightly better than their overall team defensive rating. But when Steven Adams is on the court without Jaron Jackson Jr., the Grizzlies have a 124 defensive rating. They also have a negative 17 net rating when he's on the court without Jaron Jackson Jr., Steven Adams, it's been a struggle. Now, to reframe this or to remind you, getting Steven Adams was essentially icing on the cake, or he he was not a target. He was part of a thing to get Zaire Williams. Now, you can argue Zaire's been bad, but they want him to be good later. But the target was to get Zaire Williams and to pick up this juicy Lakers first-round draft pick, which, by the way... As of today, it's in the top 10 because the Lakers are currently, before their game on Sunday as I record this, under 500. Uh, We don't want that to be in the top 10 because then the Pelicans keep it. But this Lakers pick could easily be a 14th, 15th, 16th pick, somewhere around there. That's why we have Steven Adams. 
cashed in Jonas Valanciunas because they wanted to give more of the scoring burden to Jaron and Ja. And even if it isn't working, I mean, Ja's points are way up this season and we're enjoying that outside of the Timberwolves game. Even if we find out Jaron can't handle the offensive load, in my mind, it's worth it because you had to find that out. You couldn't keep depending on Jaron. They wanted to turn over the offense to just Ja and Jaron or to let Desmond do his thing, let Dylan do his thing, let Anthony Melton do his thing to learn about these young guys. Now, maybe perhaps we're finding it's a rocky road at times as the Grizzlies maybe get blown out like every three games. And also, blown out on the weekends. What's going on with this ruining our Friday and Saturday nights? The Grizzlies' last five games that have been on a Friday or Saturday, they've been outscored in those five games by 133 points. They actually won on a Saturday, if you remember, their second game of the year at the Clippers. Since then, in the five games that have fallen on a Friday or a Saturday since that game, they averaged losing by 26.6 points. There was the Miami Heat game where we had a Grizzlies watch party in Nashville. Lost by 26 on a Saturday. You lost to the Wizards on a Friday night by 28. Then you lost back-to-back Friday night against the Suns. By 25, then you lost on the next night on a Saturday at New Orleans by only 11. Good job, guys. And now this game against the Timberwolves, a 43-point shellacking. I don't like it. Not that it matters, but the Grizzlies are undefeated on Mondays and Thursdays, and the Grizzlies are back at it on Monday night. Maybe we'll get lucky playing the Utah Jazz. Oh, my. Utah Jazz, one of the best teams in the Western Conference, one of the hardest places to play. There is no rest for the weary, but make sure you tune in at 8 p.m. Central on Bally Sports Southeast as they take on the Utah Jazz. That game is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. And make sure you tune in at 7.30 for Grizzlies Live, presented by Ford and your Mid-South Ford dealers Featuring Pete Pranica, Brevin Knight, and Rob Fisher. Check local listings and grizzlies.com for your channel guide. So the Grizzlies will have a chance to erase the pain of this defeat on Monday. They've been resilient so far this season, usually. Where just when we think, like, oh my goodness, look how terrible we are, then they come back and win. And then you think, oh wow, the Grizzlies are totally fine. So I don't know what to expect. Which Grizzlies team will show up on Monday night? Hopefully, at least they'll be very, very healthy. I have not seen the injury report as I'm recording this on late Sunday afternoon, but we'll cross our fingers that Melton and Brooks will be back together and the Grizzlies will put up much more of a fight than they did on Saturday night. Anyway, appreciate you checking out this episode. Hope you have a great Monday. Talk to you soon. Go Grizz. winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring! 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.